Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 163 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 28th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to be talking USC football, of course. We've got some team stuff to talk about. One week of spring ball is in the books. We're going to talk about what happened in that first week and one day of pads for the USC football team. We also have Gerard Martinez. Coming in a little bit later, we're talking about USC recruiting. A lot of recruits were actually on campus uh, over the weekend for USC's practice on Saturday. So we'll talk about some of the guys that made it out for that. Some committed guys from the class of, or signed guys from the class of 2011, and also some uh, guys from the class of 2012. So lots of recruits to talk about. And uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, he's on secret assignment this week. He's actually back on his way to Las Vegas. He was out there. Uh, at practice on Saturday, so we wanted to talk to him about what he saw there, but he is on a plane right now, so we're going to start off with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. Dan, what's going on? How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, one week uh, down and uh, four to go, and it's a big uh, big uh, spring practice for him, even with the injuries. Uh, I think, uh, just thinking about this, this spring practice also uh, makes up for not having a bowl practice last year. So, you know, those extra maybe 12 or so days you get to practice to, to get ready for a bowl, and a lot of times people use that to uh, give the guys the red shirts and the guys who didn't get get to do a lot, you know, in the season uh, get a chance. Well, this is, uh, this is kind of a combination, uh, you know, uh, spring ball, bowl practice uh, kind of a thing. So I think it's it's even more important, especially for the guys that you know didn't get to show what they what they thought they could do, and I, I think that's you're, you're seeing a lot of that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, there's a lot of young guys that seem to be they kind of took those first few steps over the winter when they were doing the off season workouts, and they're trying to continue that uh, into the spring. And yeah, you know, it was. I think it's a missed opportunity because you do get to see some of the younger guys for those for those bowl practices and. Especially the later the bowl is, the more practices teams tend to to, to get. So it, it's kind of like some lost time there. You know, since the last game, they did a lot of off-season stuff, and they do a lot of stuff with the strength and conditioning coaches, but nothing official in pads practicing with the coaches. So it was kind of Saturday seemed like a, a kind of a breakout day that people were really wanting to hear the sounds of pads crashing into each other again. Yeah, I mean, I and I think you make the point uh, that here you you really like the sound of the pads and. We hadn't heard that sound for, you know, since last August when they stopped hitting, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, reasons when the, you know, scholarship numbers uh, were getting down into the 50s. Uh, and then they stopped uh, tackling live in practice, which kind of influences everything. Uh, so uh, it was the sounds, I think, Saturday that, that just made you feel, uh, you know, we're back. Uh, it's football. This is what football sounds like. This is what it feels like. Uh, I think it helps in every way. I don't think you can uh, play football without doing that. I mean, you know, I, you understand exactly why they did it. They may really not have had any choice. I'm not sure what the solution was last year in the situation they found themselves, but uh, but that wasn't 
football, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and this uh, seems like football. The other thing I think we saw Saturday is the guys who jumped out at you all all winter long, the uh, Anthony Browns, the Deion Baileys, the Devon Flournoy's, the George Yukos, those guys jumped out again Saturday. There was, there was a, a clear connection to what you saw in winter workouts and in, in the throwing sessions and, uh, and what you saw Saturday. Those guys are the same guys that are making you take notice of them, and uh, that's kind of a, a, a kind of a fun thing to see, that these are guys that you know, didn't get to do anything in the fall other than you know, be part of the scout team, go through the drills and what have you, and uh, have really said, you know, look, I can play, I can contribute, I can uh, be a real, uh, you know, factor on this team. And they're not bashful. I mean, they're, you know, Anthony Brown, <laughs> he looks like he's been there for four years. Yeah. I mean, he just, uh, he's so not bashful. And it, Lane said, uh, that was interesting, Lane said he's not a stat guy. He's not one of those guys whose numbers are going to jump out at you in terms of, you know, size, speed, you know, all of that. But he's he's just a guy that makes plays and shows up. And, and you have to be able in practice uh, to simulate the uh, game situation and, and give a guy like that a chance to make plays. And, uh, you know, those guys are, are making plays. Yeah, and it, it's it's an interesting thing that we've had a topic about this on the Peristyle and people have brought it up. And it's come in, up in years past, too. Maybe you want to address it a little bit. But, you know, we're, we're out there for these off-season workouts and we can see guys perform. And if a guy's really doing well, we can put up video, we can talk about it. And then some, you know, some things happen where they don't perform either in practices or in the games. And like a, a guy like David Osbury was killing it for, you know, it seemed like every summer. And then we wouldn't really see all that much of him in the fall. Or even a guy like uh, Alan Bradford would be killing it in actual practice and then not really get the opportunities in the game. So I think sometimes people get critical of us like, hey, you said this guy was doing great. I mean, we can only tell you what we're seeing. If he's doing great in one workout, it doesn't necessarily mean – He's gonna, you know, the, the coaches are gonna put him in. It's it's really hard for us to tell. Well, and, and like with the, the secondary, you know, we see him mostly in press coverage. We see him coming up playing real aggressive man. They're not having to necessarily, uh, you know, get into some kind of a combination, you know, half man, half zone, uh, uh, where they're asked to disguise the coverage and maybe uh, two of the guys get the call and two of the guys don't get the call and. Some guy for Oregon goes wandering down there wide open that you or I could have caught it for a touchdown pass, and everybody says, what the heck's going on? You said these guys could uh, could play. Yeah, but the thing is, what we do is we tell you what they're doing on the field, how they're performing, how they're running. How Now, if, if they end up in a defense, for example, that doesn't have them running, doesn't have them aggressive, has them wondering, what am I guys supposed to exactly do on this defense? Is this one I'm supposed to disguise? Uh, where exactly am I supposed to stand? Hmm. And while they're thinking those thoughts, some guy goes running past them. That isn't what we were seeing in spring. That's not what we're seeing in the summer. It's not what we're seeing in the winter because they don't do any of that. So essentially we can tell you what the, you know, the background is, what the uh, potential is. We're not going to, this is, as I was making fun about it a little bit, you know, and saying, uh, you know, caution, sunshine, pumper alert and all that. Uh, if we tell you somebody, you know, is looking good, that means he's running well, he's aggressive, he's playing with a lot of enthusiasm. There's no guarantee of how he's going to play in October uh, if he's in some kind of a defense that uh, uh, 
that he maybe doesn't completely understand. I, I mean, I, I like what I'm hearing when the when Coach Monty Kiffin says, for example, he thought they looked better for a simple reason. They are not adding anything. They're staying with what they did last year. Okay, they took their lumps last year, learning what to do and how to do it. But he said, we're not adding anything. And he said, when we do what we did last year again this year, they all say, okay, I see. I know what that is. I've seen that. We've done that before. I recognize that. I'm comfortable. Now I can play full speed in it. Uh, it's not that they they can't play full speed. Uh, uh, they can't play full speed if they don't really know how they're supposed to play it. I think they probably last year ended up in situations where there may have been uh, expectations of these kids uh, who really weren't very experienced at all. Uh, of the ability to step in and do things. And we saw an awful lot of situations where it just looked like they weren't sure where they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to do. They didn't, the calls didn't get made uh, where everybody in the secondary knew what the calls were. So the guys that had, you know, kind of looked pretty athletic and pretty aggressive, uh, when we saw them work it out on their own, once they got coached up for the games, they might have gotten overcoached up a little bit too much uh, for this particular group. It was a, it was a different group because they there wasn't you know it was the transition year the carryover from the previous uh, you know and they had had a, an experienced secondary so uh, I think it all added up to a defense uh, you know that wasn't able to tackle in practice. They weren't carryovers from the previous uh, year. Even Therese Wright, the experienced kid you know hadn't played the year before uh and it was just a, a year where i think they got themselves in my my feeling was they're going to figure it out after the first four games because they had the benefit of four games where they really were going to be able to experiment and they were going to win those four games and then they were going to figure it out well i don't think they figured it out after those first four games they had plenty of opportunity maybe to see it but we were there. We actually were there for the last number of years, and we knew. I think we probably and that was one of those weird times where we might have known more than the coaches, just because we were there every day with these kids, and the coaches were coming in brand new, parachuting in in the middle of the year, and that's a really hard adjustment uh, for a coaching staff to know exactly where our kids are. I think they've got a much better fix now on where these kids are. I agree with you. And I think we'll see some, some better things ahead. And uh, I just wanted to kind of address that because the good thing is we put up those videos too. So you can see if we see, Hey, Devon Flournoy made, you know, five one handed catches. We can show you he made five one handed catches. It doesn't mean he's going to make five one handed catches or even play You know, when it comes. Right. You know, I mean, they have to throw it to him. I mean, there were times, you know, people said, well, what about Osbury? But there were times when they threw the ball to Osbury and he'd run over people and knock them down and leave them, you know, and there were times, I mean, heck, they put him in the backfield. He's running, running the ball. Uh, I just think, you know, like with an Osbury or with a, uh, a Jordan Cameron, for example, we just didn't see him get a lot of chances to do the things that you knew they could do. I mean, it's like a kid like Jordan Cameron shows up at the combine and he's like the third ranked tight end. And everybody <laughs> says, whoa, where's this, you know, Where's this kid been? What, look at this. He can run. He can jump. He's 254 pounds, 6'5". He's got good hands. Wow. He's pretty good. 
you know, now we could have told everybody that, and then people would say, he didn't catch that many passes. Well, you know, uh, all we can tell you is what we see and, uh, and give you an evaluation. Uh, we're not, we have no ability to guarantee, uh, <laughs> you know, the next part of that equation. We can just tell you what the parts look like. Uh, our job is not, uh, you know, they might, you know, sometimes uh, say that, that, that that's what we do, but our job is not to put them in there and, uh, you know, and develop the game plan and all that. We're just uh, telling you what, what the parts look like. Uh, and, and there were reasons. You know, if you think you've got to keep your tight end in to block him in order to give your quarterback enough protection, well, hey, he's probably not going to catch any passes. Yeah. Uh, and if your fullback, let's say, has a, you know, a shoulder problem that just you know, has been chronic and, and, and he, he doesn't have the ability maybe to deliver that uh, you know, protection blocking in the, you know, in the backfield and you've got to keep the tight end in. Uh, those are all calculations that, that we're not going to be able to make, uh, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that what we're seeing isn't what we're seeing. We're seeing it. Uh, it's just the potential could be there. That doesn't mean the actuality in the game is gonna is gonna necessarily be there. That's what's fun about it, because you really don't know until they start playing the game, uh, and you don't you know you don't know from week to week. Uh, it's the beauty of uh, college football. Yeah, it's a great game. That's what we all love uh, watching it, covering it, talking about it. It's all fun. Uh, well, let's get to a couple questions, Dan. We have if you have questions for us. Forgot to mention this at the top of the show, but you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. We love your email questions. You could also leave us a voicemail. We have a voicemail question today as well. Just call 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. Call that number. You can leave a voicemail. We can play that, that call on the podcast and then answer your question just like this one. Hi, Ryan. This is Al, uh, raised in L.A., live in Pennsylvania now, and I love the podcast. I have a question. Actually, could you please pass this on to the quarterbacks? Uh, when I watch winter workouts, I notice when the quarterbacks get up there, they'll say, ready, set, hut, and they'll back out and then throw the pass. There seems to be no rhythm, and so when you get under center, and try to do the same thing, it's, it's done, obviously it's going to be off. So please pass this on to the quarterback and at least hesitate as if they're taking a snap from center and go. I, this just has to be done because, well, you get my point. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll answer, Al, as a, uh, somebody else who – uh, lives in or around LA and used to live in Pennsylvania and, <clears throat> and loves the podcast. Um, I will say this, it used to be, and I really liked the feature. They, um, would always have someone there, not necessarily snapping through his legs, but maybe a, a grad assistant or a, a manager mostly who would be on a knee would, uh, simulate the snap to the quarterback. And I always thought that was, uh, that was a detail that I really liked, that they really had to actually handle the ball and get into the, the actual rhythm, whereas if you just, as a quarterback, walk up with the ball in your hand already and you kind of simulate your own snap, uh, 
I think that's a, actually a good point uh, that Al makes there. And uh, I might ask about that because uh, they've kind of gotten away from that of having uh, usually uh, you know, a manager down on a knee and, and where he hands the ball up to the quarterback. Uh, and, it, and it does more accurately, I think, simulate the, uh, the snap and the drop back. So uh, not a bad point, Al. I'll, uh, I'll follow that up. And I, you know, they do that a little bit. Like you would see Alex, I mean, uh, Khalid Holmes, Alex Holmes, Khalid, sorry about that, Khalid Holmes uh, snapping balls to Matt Barkley at, at certain points of the practice. They don't do it all the time, but they do try to incorporate that sometimes where they'll bring someone that is trying to get more experience at center or just to help with the timing a little bit. It's just not, it doesn't seem like they do it all the time, but they do incorporate that sometimes, Dan. Well, I, I think it's, uh, that's when, that's for, for uh, the center's uh, you know, point of view. Uh, that's for Khalid Holmes to get him some snapping or, or anybody that they want, you know, to snap it from the center. I think Al was saying that there's also uh, a, a benefit for the quarterback. So even if you don't have the actual snap uh, or the snapper, you still can have somebody handing him the ball as if when he makes the call, he's got to wait for the ball to get there. What happens, I think, is if you've already got the ball in your hands and you do a, a you know, kind of a fake uh, snap count, uh, you don't really have to wait for the ball to get there uh, like you do in the game. So, uh, But that was a detail, I think, that with, with Pete, I thought that was one of the really the good – now, that may have been a Norm Chow uh, kind of a detail or, or Steve Sarkeesian. I'm not sure. Uh, but I thought it probably helped the quarterbacks in, uh, in, in their getaway, in their you know, grabbing the ball, their, their getaway, as opposed to now – uh, it's not the same thing when you basically already have the ball and make the snap count. That, so, but I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis because of the new centers. Uh, a lot of people are going to be doing more snapping because for Khalid Holmes, he can't he can't have contact this uh, spring, but he can certainly snap. So I think they're probably going to have him snapping the ball as much as possible. I'm not even sure. As soon as Abe Markowitz gets out of his um, out of his boot, he might be snapping too. I think. There's going to be a whole lot of snapping. They they might not be hitting anybody, but they're going to be doing uh, doing a lot of snapping. I think it's really going to be uh, important, actually, uh, part of the the spring ball, which is one good reason for having practices over five weeks and spread out three uh, practices a week. I think that really benefits because it's going to give them some more time on the back end to uh, to get you know one or two of these guys that are in boots or. Uh, you know, to give them some uh, maybe some practice time before uh, before the spring is over. Uh, all right. Well, the next question is from Jay. He wants to know how uh, Marky Simmons and, and Hayes Pullard have looked so far uh, this spring. Are they getting any reps? Are they healthy? How close are they to getting uh, with the first team defense right now? Well, they are the first team. <laughs> they are the first team defense pretty much. I mean, it, it's. Uh, it's all the guys that didn't get to play because you basically got, you know, the the returning first team, uh, you know, and Devon Kennard and uh, Chris Gallipo and uh, uh, Shane Horton are uh, are sidelined. So you're basically going with, uh, uh, you know, like the other day, I think Will Andrew uh, and uh, Hayes uh, and uh, and Marquise. Those guys are getting a chance to uh, to play a lot. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the two of them, <clears throat> it looks like. Um, uh, maybe, you know, when USC had kind of not the, uh, you know, the big, strong, uh, you know, middle linebackers, they look more like the, 
you know, the, the mid-sized guys, the, you know, the loafers, uh, or when, you know, they had Grudiga playing up there on the, on the outside or whatever, they're, they're sort of mini, uh, mini linebackers a little bit. Uh, you know, not that they don't, you know, come in close to 230. It's just they're compact guys who, uh, who've got a lot of quickness. And so, uh, uh, the one thing you notice when you look at the defense is looks pretty darn quick. I mean, they really are, uh, now they're trying to, I think, really show that the fall was an aberration, that they can be quick and aggressive and play fast. And that's what they're trying to do. And, and it's making it a little tough matchup for the, uh, an offensive, uh, group that's, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, uh, you know, mix and match as far as, uh, the offensive line and all that. So, uh, uh, I think uh, you know Marquise and uh, and Hayes uh, has shown up uh, you know has shown up pretty well. Yeah, I mean uh, we actually have an interview with uh, Ross Cumming going up a little bit later on, and he's a guy that worked his way into the two deep at linebacker, and he's been hurt. And he talked about you know basically you know <laughs> three your top three linebackers are out for this team, and you know and, and Ross is out as well. And now so Ross he, is, yeah. Yeah, he mentioned guys like that. I mean, there it's a really good opportunity I think for them. Obviously, it's a position of need USC needs to bring in some more linebackers and stuff but you are getting these young guys a lot of opportunities I think that's a, a good thing for their future well and it's it's all the guys it's like in the secondary it's an awful lot of the guys who didn't get to do it uh you know for an act I mean both of those guys had uh, surgery one uh, you know Marquise with his appendectomy and then Hayes had a little work done on his knee nothing major for either one of them but it was enough to knock him out of the fall so this is their fall uh, this is their chance. They've been working, you know, out all winter, looking forward to this, and uh, so it is a great opportunity. So I think that's what you do with this kind of a spring, rather than saying, "Oh, woe is me, these guys are out" or whatever. You, uh, you, you know, make it an opportunity for the guys who aren't, and uh, and and just you get as much out of it as you can, and make it work, and see who uh, see who steps up. You know, are there some more uh, Tony Burnett's, for example, who? Uh, uh, actually didn't step up until last summer. But uh, guys, that you know, once they get their opportunity, uh, let's see what they can do with it. And uh, you just one of the good things is if you had this many injuries last year, you almost couldn't have practiced. I mean, they almost couldn't have put a team out on the field. They couldn't have scrimmaged. They couldn't have done a lot of things. So it, it feels more like a real USC football team because there just seem to be like there are enough bodies to get through uh, an awful lot of guys being sidelined, you know, probably the numbers, uh, you know, right about 20 now. And yet, you know, they're out there and, uh, uh, and doing some things. So um, um, I think they've turned the corner. I think, you know, the way they recruited last year and the early entry guys that got in and, uh, and the number that they signed and all that, it, it, they have turned the corner. They were in a, they were in a real, uh, box with uh, with the NCAA sanctions, the uh, uh, transfer rule that, uh, that you know that they threw on on USC just to you know add uh, insult to injury, and then the, the numbers that they started with last year, they were really in a difficult difficult situation. I think they really worked their way out of it uh, with what they've done this year. I think it's kind of been a masterful job of uh, figuring out the roster and, and going forward. And uh, this spring, I think, is proof of that with, with the, you know, if, if you figure 20 guys sideline and they're still uh, making a pretty good effort uh, of, of making spring work for them, I think they've done a great job. 
Um, we got another question. This is from Coach Willie, and he's a little frustrated. He usually goes back and forth with Coach Harvey Hyde a little bit. We'll let you chime in on this one, Dan, with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde on special assignment. But um, he says, I, I feel the defense is sticking with a 4-3, and he feels that that's fighting a losing battle when you're trying to uh, defend a lot of these different college offenses. He thinks it's either super stubborn or a lack of common sense. And he says the talent suggests a five-man front. If adjustments are not made on this team, they will not live up to its potential and the talent there. Coaching has hurt this team last year, not lack of talent or reduction of player depth. The defense was poorly coached with lack of basic fundamental coaching on the defense tackling, containment, etc. Maybe you want to make a few comments on that. Coach Willie has been definitely critical of the defense over the last year or so. I mean, I don't think he was – you know, any more critical than any of us. Uh, I haven't heard heard exactly. Uh, you know, when you talk about the tone, uh, but uh, but I think everybody was critical. They they didn't have good angles of pursuit. Their containment wasn't there. Uh, I mean, I think they were trapped uh, by um, you know by a practice regimen and uh, an inability for the coaches to completely understand where the players players were and I don't know that it was even possible to completely know where the players were unless you'd have gone back and made them so basic uh, uh, in terms of the defense that uh, uh, and then added very gradually to it but uh, but I think they they understand uh, uh, that they didn't know what they didn't know and uh, the kids uh, need you know basically they're going through last year again this year Uh, and if you looked at just Saturday uh, I'm not sure I saw a missed tackle. Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. It doesn't jump out at me. That's different. I mean, they, these guys were missing tackles last spring before they had the issues. If you remember Dylan Baxter's uh, famous runs and all that, and you can say, no, that was against scout team guys or whatever. But this team has lost some of the fundamentals, I think, uh, over the year or two before even. Uh, and so uh, and I don't think it's just, you know, this coaching staff, they were in a difficult place last year uh, with guys who hadn't played, couldn't be, you know, located in terms of exactly where they were. And then the, uh, then the depth issues caught up with them in the practice uh, uh, problems of not being able to, you know, or feeling like they couldn't tackle. And, they, you know, they might not have been able to. Uh, I think that's one of those unknowable things. Could they have taken a chance? Well, I don't know. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> A five-man front, you know, I, I, I mean, I think fundamentally they just have to play better up front. I mean, I think Auburn did a pretty good job against Oregon with their, uh, you know, with their the way they lined up. Uh, why? Because they had guys like Nick Fairley, and they had, you know, four weeks to get ready for, all, or for uh, Oregon. I think that really mattered. Somebody made a point the other day, and I thought it was a really good comment. Had Auburn had to play Oregon – a, on a field that wasn't brand new and totally slipping and, you know, where the Oregon kids could actually uh, make their cuts, and B, had they had to play Auburn or Auburn had to play Oregon a week after their last game, had they had a week to get ready for it, they'd have been in trouble. They had four weeks to get ready for Oregon. And I think what USC has now is have the entire off season to get ready for those teams, to get ready for the spreads. And I think that's going to make all the difference in the world. I think, you know, you obviously uh, California played uh, uh, and later in the year played Oregon pretty well. There are ways to play 
uh, those teams. You've got to do a lot of things at the line of scrimmage that USC was not doing. Uh, I mean, let's face it, last year, if USC doesn't have total breakdowns on the first two touchdown passes that they gave up to Jeff Mayo where he's totally undefended because they're, they're in busted coverage, that game could turn out differently. I mean, those are two gift touchdowns. They just gave them, you know, two touchdowns. Uh, if you don't do that, you look a lot better. Uh, I think their tackling angles will be better this year. I think their pursuit will be better. I don't think – I mean, uh, you talk to a T.J. McDonald, and he just can't believe, you know, that they missed the tackles that they missed last year, that he missed the tackles, you know, and he hardly missed any. But uh, uh, I think that emphasis is going to be so different uh, that it will it will look like they're totally coaching them differently. It will look like their fundamentals are totally different. I'm not sure that that will be the case as much as – it will be just the circumstances are different. The players are a year older. The coaches have been with them for another year. I don't know that they need to make wholesale changes at this point in time. Uh, I just think they got to do what they do and do it really well and know how they're doing it. And, uh, you know, we can argue whether the you know middle linebacker should be uh, 30 yards deep middle, uh, you know, on some coverages. Uh, That'll probably be, uh, you know, one of those uh, uh, arguments that'll never be settled. But, uh, but otherwise, I don't think they need to make wholesale changes. They need to improve. They need to get better. They need to get more fundamentally sound. Uh, and they need to turn them loose a little bit more. I, I think they they outfought themselves a little bit too much last year. They, I think the coaches too, took too much on themselves. That we have to outcoach people. We have to outsmart them. Uh, and I think. You know, you more got to outplay them. You got to you got to free your players to play, and uh, that was that was just a difficult adjustment over you know on a, in a transition year. It just didn't happen. Um, I think it, I think it, they got a chance of making it happen this year. Uh, one last thing, we talked a lot about the defense, Dan. Maybe we can talk about some of the the, the quarterback situation a little bit. Obviously, Matt Barkley's the the clear front runner, but having Jesse Scroggins and Max Wittick and Cody Kessler in there. And some of the you know walk-on guys as well play look like they're playing okay. Kind of battling right. to see who's going to be that that backup quarterback spot. Maybe give a few thoughts on how the quarterbacks are out there playing. What you notice, I think, is when you've got basically you know the four scholarship guys, that's a lot of snaps. That's a lot of plays that you need for these guys. Uh, and the four uh, you know walk-on kids are really contributors. I mean, you know they've got eight quarterbacks who. Uh, when they go off, you know, down there, you know, to start specialty periods and all that, you realize, man, and, you know, and, and and most of them, you know, are talented kids and can really do some things. The John Manigian, you know, uh, uh, got a great arm and he's smart as heck. And, uh, Brett Cotton, you know, the kid from Hawaii, transferred from Princeton, is a genius. I'm, I'm sure academically and every other way. Uh, I mean, they've got, they've got a lot of, you know, a lot of guys that can throw the ball. And getting enough opportunities for all of them to throw the ball is going to be interesting, especially in, in team situations, because, it, you know, you're going to really depend on um, <clears throat> the way the guys, you know, for, the, for that backup job, the guy who's going to step up is going to be the guy that runs the huddle best and makes the adjustments, you know, the best, that gets them into the right play, that develops the most confidence, uh, you know, among his teammates when he's making those calls and reads. And uh, getting enough time to do that is going to be a challenge, I think. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of different kind of move, movement. Uh, they 
each of the three, uh, uh, Cody Kessler and Max Wittig and, uh, and Jesse Scroggins brings, uh, you know, a different skill set to the, you know, the competition. And it's going to be, uh, I'm very interested in seeing how that develops and interested in seeing if, if they can all get them enough, uh, enough, you know, comparable reps, uh, so that we can really see who can do what. Uh, I, I, it's fascinating because uh, you probably couldn't have three uh, three different, you know, more different uh, uh, quarterback types. Uh, and uh, and I don't know which one I like. I thought, I, you know, I thought Winnick uh, stepped up a little bit uh, on Saturday. I think maybe uh, his uh, scrambling and his quickness and his, uh, his arm uh, showed up a lot. Now, I think we can probably say, uh, from practice to practice to practice, we'll have a different name there as to who you know really gets the the chance to step up. But but it's going to be fascinating. I'm glad they've got four more weeks to uh, to work it all out. But uh, but you know very uh, they're very blessed when you think about the you know the three backup kids. But they got to turn one of them into the backup guy. And uh, uh, having three is good. Turning those three into one is uh, is a little bit of a challenge. They're doing a little bit more uh, detailed work, I think, with the quarterbacks. Uh, works on, you know, they're giving them targets to throw at and working on their rollouts and when they release the ball and stuff like that. I think they're trying to be a little more precise with these guys, uh, and uh, and I like that. I think uh, I think we, uh, you know, it gives us a chance to uh, to watch some of this, you know, specialty stuff and, and maybe make our own judgments a little bit. The thing is, we won't be in the huddle. We don't know the calls. We don't know how they're, you know, translating that into, uh, you know, the play at the line of scrimmage and all that. So, uh, but uh, uh, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. Certainly will, Dan. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming in. Do a little extended duty today. Uh Thanks, Dave. A little longer. That's cool. I mean, we went a little over half an hour, but there's so much to talk about now with the first week of spring football, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing all your thoughts. Thank you very much, Ryan. Enjoyed it. All right. Everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds. Going to talk some USC recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some USC football recruiting with national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez from uscfootball.com. Gerard, what's going on? Not too much. Just uh, recovering from another long week of uh, camps and obviously spring ball going uh, involved with that Saturday. Big day for USC recruiting-wise. You know, they brought some kids in. It's kind of hard to bring in a lot of recruits on campus when you're having your practices at 7.20 in the morning. So Saturdays, it looks like the weekends, you know, you're going to try to round up some local talent. And they did that uh, this past Saturday and brought in uh, some pretty good players. And uh, we'll see if it has any effect uh, down the road here as uh, May evaluations come up and we might see some more offers start to come out. 
Yeah, that's the kind of the big thing. The more times you see these players on campus, the more times coaches get to see them in person. Should we expect to see more offers kind of going out for some of these local kids? I think really we're getting close enough to the May evaluation period that uh, they really want to wait on that. Uh, some kids are being told, you know, we want you to come to camp, and that's something different entirely. Obviously, that's in June before you have any camps at USC on the campus of USC that the coaching staff is involved with. The May evaluation period comes April 15th, and, you know, the coaches are able to get to the high schools and see those kids in person and see them work out and see them do some things with their football team, which not necessarily the same as a camp situation that you would have at USC, like the Rising Stars camp or the Skills camp or the Lineman camp, but still you get to see a kid move. Sometimes, you know, they're running track. You get to see them running track. Um, just different things that uh, they can do on the field that sometimes, you know, that's the selling point. That's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. So, you know, we're looking at kids that uh, are close to offers that, you know, the conversation has come up. And USC coaching staff knows that uh, it's tough to slow play kids now with even verbal offers. Um, you know, there's so many schools out there just giving scholarship offers. And, you know, it's kind of funny because it's almost a, a monster that USC has created in some ways. You know, Pete Carroll and that staff, they were one of the first staffs that really went national with recruiting, that really became a school that would go across the country and go after the best regardless of where that kid was or where his ties were, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, situation he was in with his family, uh, all that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, kind of revolves around a recruit. It kind of was ignored. It was like, you know, we're going to go after the best of the best, and it doesn't matter, and we're USC, and we're going to win a lot of ball games, and we're going to keep everybody interested in what we're doing, and we're good recruiters. And it, it worked, and, and then there was, you know, other instances where maybe they spun their wheels on some kids, and it didn't work, but they were really the first school to, to kind of go national really hard, especially when they didn't have to. I mean, you've got some in California, you've got Los Angeles, you've got a lot of talent locally, but Pete Carroll and Lane Kiffin and Ed Erzron, I mean, let's, let's also note that those guys were part of that staff when they first came along, uh, were ready to go into the South and go into Florida and go into places and, and go after kids like Keith Rivers and Dwayne Jarrett and Fred Davis, and now what you've seen develop from that is schools like Florida, and I'll use Urban Meyer as an example, uh, another really you know great staff in terms of recruiting nationally. Florida was never a national recruiting powerhouse. You know, Under Steve Spurrier, Florida really stuck to the southeast. They really kind of stuck with Florida kids. They didn't reach out too far. You never heard about the University of Florida coming to California and really recruiting anybody hard, especially consistently. And then with Urban Meyer, there's a point where they start to come out to California and they start to kind of go, well, hey, USC's coming out here and recruiting our kids. Let's go out there and start recruiting their kids. And that was kind of the beginning of the verbal offer and this wave of schools that, you know, you got Oklahoma and Notre Dame just starting to kind of throw that verbal offer out there and say, hey, you know, we, we want to get our foot in the door with kids. We know this kid's not necessarily going to commit because he's across the country. He's never seen this school. And what changed is that, you know, I think with Pete Carroll, he was going after kids that they really wanted, and there a number of offers out there. And this was back when, you know, you could actually give a written offer September 1st of the kid's junior year. Now the NCAA rules changed that you can't give a written offer until September 1st of their senior year. So at that point, you could give written offers, and Pete Carroll was really being stingy. He was going national, but you would still look at their entirety of their class and the scholarship numbers, and it would be much lower than a lot of average schools. Well, 
Meyer changed that completely when he went to Florida. They won a national championship, and that next spring, uh, at, you know, before the May evaluation period had even started, they had given out well over 100 scholarships. And at that point, those scholarship offers were just verbal. And it was kind of that, well, you know, we're going to tell a kid, hey, you got an offer. We love you so much. We want you to come out to our camp. And if the kid was saying, well, I got an offer, coach, I want to commit. You guys are national champions. You're great. I love you. You know, Urban Meyer is the best, the greatest in the world. It was like, well, hey, slow your roll a little bit, son. We like you a lot, and we want to offer you, and, and we're there for you. But, you know, until you, before you can really commit, I want you to come in and meet my wife, Shelly. And when you meet Shelly at our camp, because that's where she's going to be now. You know, she doesn't just, you know, cruise around the country. She's going to be at our camp. You know, we want to make sure you're a good character and you're a good guy and yada, yada, yada. And that was the catch-22 on this whole verbal offer thing. And Texas kind of started to evolve something similar. Now, Texas is still very, um, you know, homogeneous in terms of how they recruit. They're very much about Texas kids. They don't go out of state too much. But, uh, you know, Mac Brown, same thing. You kind of come to have to come to the campus of Texas in order to get a real scholarship offer, to get a real written scholarship offer. Um, now, they're still, like I said, it's a little different because I think with Meyer, they, they use that a little more, uh, ominously, it was it was a little dubious, I guess I should say, that was correct for us, to kind of say, hey, you know, get in the kid's ear, kind of get in his head and say, you got a verbal offer, and it really didn't mean anything because kids would want to commit. Because at that point, you know, right after their national championship year, we're talking about, you know, coming up close to May, they've got a bunch of scholars, they've got 120 scholarship offers or something like that in the Rivals database. And of all, and of all those kids that had been offered scholarships verbally, uh, I think it was only maybe had one or two commits at that point. So obviously you're looking at that and going, something's not right here. Some two and two is not equaling four at this point because there's no way that, you know, all those kids that had scholarship offers, there's only two of them that want to commit. I mean, obviously a lot of kids would want to commit. They're, you know, sucked up in the energy. They just won a national championship and, and you know, they're the toast of the town. And But that was the, that was the caveat there. That was a little bit of the catch-22. Like, hey, we want, we want to offer you a scholarship. Get your foot in the door with the kid and get out there, become his leader, and he's all pumped up about you. But then as far as, hey, you know, a real committable offer, that was something different entirely. That didn't come until they saw you at the camp. And, of course, you, know, you could meet, you know, Urban Meyer's wife, but that wasn't really the thing. It was because, you know, they wanted to get the kids down there, perform, and know who they were offering and who they really wanted. Well, that's now become a national thing. That's become the kind of blanketed so many schools now are just like, hey, we're going to offer you a scholarship. We really want to, I think the phrase now is, and I hear this a lot from high school coaches, we really want to offer you a scholarship. And that becomes, oh, this kid's got a scholarship offer. And so it's, it's really more about, like, you know, getting in their heads, just letting them know, hey, we really want you, we're serious about you. And then kind of saying, okay, but we really want you to come down to the camp, or we really want to see you in person first, is to make sure, just to double check that you're the guy for us. And um, and there's and there's some guys like that that you know I think USC has been dealing with in terms of a national level because those guys, especially you know they're 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 guys that have never visited USC, they they don't know anything about USC. The local kids, they're a little more you know tempered with in terms of even the, even the verbal offers, which you know what. I, you know, you got to give credit for USC for that and, and not just being a bunch of guys that are just throwing out the, hey, everybody's got an offer, and then when kids want to commit, all of a sudden that offer doesn't, you know, apply. There are kids that are really good locally that you could very easily verbally offer that would want to commit, and then you have to back off of they haven't um, offered a lot of those guys. So, uh, and, and a few of those guys actually showed up to the practice Saturday.
Um, well, speaking of some of those guys that showed up, maybe some of the bigger names that, you know, one of the most recent commit Jabari Ruffin, maybe talk about a couple of people that were out there. Well, Jabari Ruffin and Scott Starr were the two linebackers out there. And I think what's significant is that you look at both those guys kind of standing around the linebacker drills, and they are two of the bigger linebackers that USC would have right now. Um, Jabari is a good 6'3", 225 pounds, almost 230 pounds. He's legitimately a, a really big kid, and he moves really, really well. We saw him uh, at a camp uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, and just watching him move, and we got some video actually up on uscfootball.com of that. Uh, he's very athletic, and, and we kind of figured that much watching his video. He's a guy that plays running back and plays receiver you know, at that size. Um, you can always kind of question competition and try to, you know, look further into it and kind of over-analyze that. But the truth of the matter is he's fast, and he runs fast, and he's big, and that's a good combination. And that's a combination that USC really hasn't had a lot of in the past few years with linebackers, just trying to get some of those marquee guys. This could be a really, really good class for them, I think. I think if, uh, you know, you can get solid guys like roughing in – and, you know, kind of be – they're not going to take a lot of guys, obviously, because they've only got 15 scholarship offers. I think, you know, putting a guy like Scott Starr on the other side of him would uh, – USC could do a lot worse. Uh, Starr showed up. A lot of people thought he was like a defensive lineman because Ed Ergeron was talking to him a little bit, and he was hanging out with Ed Ergeron, and he's a big kid. He's gotten a lot bigger. I mean, I know we wrote a story about USC making a big deal about him coming down to junior day and how big he was. You know, I, I saw him against Crenshaw and against Roosevelt last year – and I thought, you know, he's pretty big there. He's 215, 220 there, and good-sized kid. That wasn't really an issue. But he's even bigger now. I mean, he's, he's got yeah, – I mean, he says he's only 225. He looked a lot bigger than 225. He looked like uh, kind of like a Brian Cushing clone as far as his size. Um, so, I mean, he's a very technical player, uh, great tackling technique. I mean, he comes from Norco High School. That's kind of, you know, where, where you get guys that just – I mean, they're tough and they're physical and they play that brand of football. Um, and Scott Starr kind of epitomizes that. Um, he's about, you know, he's listed as 6'3", you know, 220, 225. Uh, he looked a little bigger there. And then you got Ruffin, 6'3", you know, almost 230. I think those guys, I mean, that's, that's a little old school USC with Pete Carroll with the bigger linebackers that Ken Norton Jr. liked to recruit. And um, I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Starr. Obviously, you know, Ruffin got the offer, committed right away. I think Starr would do the same. And I think, you know, he's being – a little more politically correct, and, you know, the question, hey, is USC's chances, are they hurt by not offering you, you know, early? Or, or, you know, the more schools that come in after you at this point, are you starting to kind of remember that a little bit? Because sometimes that's an issue, you know, just when a, when a kid has an offer and, and how that whole thing develops. And he, at this point, is saying, no, not really. I understand what they have to do. I understand that they want to evaluate me, that they want to see me move, they want to see me in person. Um, the talk is, you know, the May evaluation period, that's going to happen, and that might be when the decision is actually made, whether they offer him a scholarship or not. But if you watch his film, and, I, and I've just seen him in person, um, he's a really good player. There's, uh, I can't imagine there being a lot of linebackers out there that are better than Scott Starr. So we'll see how that evolves. But it'd be really nice for USC to finally have – I mean, they could have two linebackers locally that are really good that they could kind of put in their back pocket and then look at, you know, okay, we got another guy nationally that we want to recruit. We want to recruit three in this class. You know, let's look at another guy that, you know, might be in Florida or might be in the Midwest or what have you. But you know you've got those two guys in your back pocket. The past few years here, I mean, they've been going out of state. and It's really been, you know, okay, let's put our eggs in that basket. And you just never know how that's going to happen or how that's going to, you know, kind of play itself out. Last year – 
it, it worked out well. I mean, they got on Anthony, Anthony Sorrow kind of at the last minute there with the Army game. Uh, you know, they, they kind of struck gold there with Lamar Dawson and were able to get him, and that was a long recruitment. So that one just was just hard work that they put in for that one. Uh, and then and Trey Madden was a really good linebacker locally, probably the best guy that we saw uh, in California last year. So, I mean, that's a great linebacker class, but it was definitely, I think people were sweating it out to the end. You know, you're able to get rough, in, and if they go after star and get star committed early, then there's a lot less sweating. And I think, uh, you know, USC fans, when it comes to linebackers and offensive linemen, they're looking forward to that. <laughs> one of these classes, one of these years, it's been a while since they've had, you know, they've been sitting on a really good offensive line class going into the year. And, of course, as we always have to kind of know, you know, it's their verbal commitments, just like their verbal offers. And these kids, you know, back off these verbal commitments all the time. And, you know, Jabari Ruffin's already talking about taking visits. But I tell you, Jabari, I get the sense he's a kid that really likes USC. And something would have to change for him to dislike USC. He, he's always got the gear on. He's always around the program. Uh, you know, he's taking unofficial visits there. He's there for practice. That, those are the important things. I, I think, you know, when you look at some of the guys that have decommitted in the past, uh, they've, they've kind of come and gone. You know, you haven't really seen them at the games a lot. Or There's these little things that you kind of see, and it's always in hindsight of the process, and you start to go, eh, maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe there was somebody there that, that was kind of in their ear about USC and, and it allowed them, you know, to start looking at other schools, and they just didn't have that exposure to the coaching staff all the time. Um, but I think with Ruffin, you know, that's definitely happening and he's, uh, he's pretty pumped. So we'll see what happens with, with Starr and the, the other linebackers. Now, there were some impressive linemen over there, too. I think uh, we saw Ellis McCarthy. Uh, Kyle, I think it was Kyle Murphy was over there. And uh, there was a bunch of class of 2011 kids. And, man, Cody Temple looked like he was a bodybuilder over there. But there, were, there was definitely – we had to see him from across the field because they were on the other side and we're not allowed to interact with, with prospects and stuff. They normally stay on the opposite side for us. But you get at least get a look at them and kind of see what they look like. And there were some impressive-looking guys out there. Yeah, I mean, Cody Temple, uh, you know, you, you, there's not a lot to do in Bakersfield, and obviously lifting weights is the one thing he likes to do. So uh, he's, he's, he's definitely pumped and, and just looks like one of those guys that could bench pass, you know, 400 pounds out of high school. And uh, I, I still love that offer. I still think that that, that guy is going to be a guy that uh, you can kind of circle if, if USC is able to really bring this thing together, if they're able to kind of reboot, you know, the success they had with Pete Carroll – it's going to be because they got guys like Charles Burks and Cody Temple, guys that are kind of, you know, off off the radar, but not just really off the radar so much as they're guys that you look at and people go, well, you know, he's a really good high school player, or he's, you know, be really good, you know, in a in a, in a certain role. But you know, USC, you know, they you know they recruit those really crazy, great freakish athletes. Well, you know what? I think USC got too many great freakish athletes and not enough good football players. And you can, you know, and it's tough to criticize. I mean, shoot, P. Carroll, you know, won seven Pac-10 titles in a row. I mean, what are you going to say? But there's a lot of that, you know, uh, you know, amazingly, you should have, would have, could have, maybe with with that 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 run, you know, that the, the 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 games that were lost, that you know, they could have won another championship or what have you. And you always kind of, I think, the people that are around the program at that point in time equated of egos and a lot of maybe there's just too much of stuff you know there's too many running backs and not one guy that they recruited that could really be the guy like Reggie was or 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 what have you you know with these with these recruiting classes that brought in so many four or five star guys a guy like Cody Temple's you know the antithesis of that man he's not that 
four-star ego guy. He's going to come in. He's going to do his work. You know, if it's his redshirt sophomore year that he's the first time he comes in and plays it down uh, in a game, he's not going to complain about it. I mean, that's just he just wants to play football, wants to go to school, you know, wants to be on the team and wants to work hard, and he's a good example. I mean, I, I will say this. I think a holdover that, you know, a lot of people were kind of not sure about with uh, the last that the, the last uh, uh, recruiting class that Pete Carroll brought in was a guy like Anthony Brown, who I was standing on the table for because he's a guy that's out there just working his butt off. And he wants to play. He wants to compete. He feels like he's the best of the best. But he's not going to complain about it. He just kind of shuts up and does it. And um, and I think when you start to put a lot of guys like that and you sprinkle them in among all these, you know, these five-star guys that USC's going to get just because, you know, it's Southern California and these coaches are great recruiters, you're going to get some star guys. You're going to get those George Farmers and those Robert Woods here in, in this classes at some point. You've got to put them next to guys that are just going to be humble and going to work hard and set a good example. And I think a guy like, you know, Cody Temple is a good guy like that. You know, we saw Steve Dillon who uh, just, you know, got the, the, the letter of intent to signed to, to be officially uh, a part of the 2011 class and you know he still got some work to do in the in the classroom but he was out there all smiles and talking with Antoine Woods and Greg Townsend and Charles Burks uh, you know it, there's a there's camaraderie with that class as well and I think that's going to be very important uh, especially among the defensive players and, and those that that kind of little city group you know that that came became really tight and, and USC's got to continue that you know they got to this class is not quite that way I haven't really seen that um you know that kind of inner group among the class uh, stand out a little bit. Um, we'll see. You know if it starts to develop more, but it's a it's a different year I think with recruiting. Last year was a really good year in the city, and this year's kind of spread out a little more. I think you you've definitely got a more even numbers. You know you've got some linemen in Orange County. Uh, you you've got some players in the Valley that are pretty good that are coming back, um, and you obviously you know you've got some players in the IE who who are good that I always kind of bringing up the rear as far as exposure and, and notoriety, but still some guys that are going to be plucked out of this area that are going to be, you know, fantastic football players. So it's a, it's a different year, and I think it's more spread out. And, again, that's why it's significant for these practices and these little get-togethers that USC can bring guys on campus and bring them together. You know, Jabari Ruffin and Scott Starr have talked, and they're pretty close already. I mean, they, they kind of are friends now because of the junior day and Jabari – uh, or I don't know how it went, Jabari or Scott. Scott or Jabari uh, kind of recognized one of them from Rivals and the stories that had gone up and kind of started talking them up. And, and you know, when Scott's like, hey, you know, I heard you committed, congratulations. You know, what what was the, the decision like? And started asking about stuff. And, and Jabari's in his ear a little bit like, yeah, man, you gotta you got to come along. And, you know, Scott's like, hey, I want to come along, but, you know, I need an offer. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is, is going to build, you know, a foundation for the class. Um, kind of going forward, and, and you need that. You definitely need that to, to have a strong class because it carries over into their freshman year, and, and those guys, you know, stay tight, and it, and it helps the team overall. Um, and then one last thing uh, about the Asante Trenchman Academy. You were over there uh, this weekend. At, you had practice, and you went to this lineman camp. What was going on at that camp? Any interesting guys there? What would you see? Uh, it was, you know, a couple interesting guys. Uh, Lacey Westbrook uh, was the only lineman there that had a scholarship offer from USC, but he didn't participate because he's coming back from an ankle injury. Um, kind of still a, an interesting uh, scholarship offer there from USC just because you, you look at him. I, I think he's going to be a guard. 
Um, he doesn't want to play guard. He definitely wants to play tackle. He feels like he's made his home at tackle. Uh, he's a kid with some great feet, some good athleticism, you know, kind of moves quickly for a guy of his size. Uh, but interestingly, also at the camp was a kid named Eric Magnuson. Eric Magnuson's about 6'6", 275, and a kid that uh, we've seen on film and just really love him on film. I think Eric Magnuson and Kyle Murphy, uh, both similar that they're, you know, they're kind of in that 275 almost 280 range, and they're in that 6'6". Six, six, I think Kyle's probably a little taller. He might be legitimate in that 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, range. But guys that uh, move well, that you can put weight on, but you watch their film and you're just blown away by their ability to get to the second tier of the defense and just kill people. I mean, they just kill linebackers, safeties. It doesn't matter. They get downfield, and they're going to block until that whistle's blown. And the interesting thing about Eric, you know, a lot of the Dominguez kids were there. And, uh, you know, Dominguez kids are kind of, you know, Carson kids talking a little trash. You know, here comes this kid from La Costa Canyon, San Diego. And they're going, what's this dude, man? We're just going to, you know, we're going to bull rush him and we're going to get in his head and we're going to intimidate him. And Madison, you know, got bull rushed and kind of got a little shot in the chin a little bit from a, from a forearm. And he didn't like that. And so every rep after that point, he pretty much mauled everybody at that camp. And there really wasn't anybody. I mean, you'd have to bring out an Ellis McCarthy-type defensive tackle, 6'5", 315, who was also at USC Saturday, to really give this guy a run. But just watching his bend, watching, you know, his feet, um, just his disposition, you know, you, and you saw that on film already. You saw a guy on film that was ready to mix it up and was kind of nasty, and he has an edge to him. And he was dominant. He does not have an offer from USC yet. And again, basically mentioned two guys, you know, that I'm kind of like watching very closely because they they stand out to me as guys that you know USC really could offer at some point. They look like offer material. And Magnuson, you know, along with Scott Starr, are the two guys that uh, you know in this class just seem to be guys that uh, have all those factors that you know you've kind of done this a while and you've seen players come and go. You go, and hey, they they look like the type of players at USC eventually. You know, maybe it's in September and all of a sudden it's a little late, and then they got to fight that. But eventually, offer a scholarship to and uh, you know Magnuson wants that SC offer. I don't know if he would commit right away. He kind of has that smirk on his face that you know when he talks about USC, and you kind of think, well, he you know he might pull the trigger right away. Uh, again, same thing with Scott Starr though. From watching him play in person and watching him on film, I think USC could do worse. Uh, this offensive line class, I think we've talked about it before. You can bring in so many different combinations of guys that still have a lot of success. I mean, if USC brought in you know four guys this year. And you got Kyle Murphy, Andres Pete, who uh, wrote a story on. He he visited USC a couple of weeks ago. He's the first, one of the first five stars in the Western region, uh, ranked by Rivals.com. And then you have Eric Magnuson. Uh, you get those three guys, and it's like, man, I mean, you're, you, your fourth guy, whether it be Westbrook, whether it be one of these kids from Washington, uh, Zach Banner or Josh Garnett, um, you know, maybe you, you, you sneak a kid down from, uh, you know, Northern California. I mean, there, there's so many guys, Max Turk. I mean, there's a lot of guys you can put in on that fourth spot and say, wow, we got a great offensive line class. We got a better offensive line class than we've had in the last five years. You could, you could, you could make an argument for. I mean, USC got a good offensive line class last year. I kind of lacked a little bit of balance because I'm seeing a lot of guys that are really going to be more interior guys. And it's kind of, you know, put together a little bit with, you know, the numbers there are padded because of the Juco guys that came in. Uh, this spring, but overall, you know, it's a good class. I think next year's class. I mean, you get you, you can, there's there's a lot of guys you can get that are four linemen in USC's 2012 class that can make that an even better class. I mean, Ronnie Stanley out of Las Vegas. They're big, they're strong. 
you know, and they're local. And I, I, you know, I just think there's a comfort level with that as well. You bring kids in, they're not going to be homesick. You know, you're not gambling on all this stuff going on in North Carolina or Florida or, you know, making sure the kid, you know, something doesn't happen at home. All of a sudden he wants to transfer. There's just a lot of things that go on when you're able to have kids, you know, just local and, and uh, being able to dominate the region locally is also a big deal because you're taking them from other Pac-12 schools. Kyle Murphy talked with him last night. I, he might be one of the first recruits that has an offer from every Pac-12 school. Um, you know, Washington State was going to offer him, but he kind of just said, you know, I, I wouldn't be interested in Washington State. So, you know, I never really emailed him back or called them, but they were emailing me. You know, they wanted me to give them a call. It was probably because they were going to offer, which you figure it is. And he's going to call and talk to Arizona here pretty soon. They're probably going to give him a verbal scholarship offer. So, you know, you're talking about a guy, if you're able to get him, uh, you're taking him away from all those schools. You're taking him away from Oregon. You're taking him away uh, from from Arizona State and, and Oregon State and all that. And, that. and that's also kind of a uh, a positive, I think, uh, in recruiting regionally. So you know, we'll see how it happens. Uh, you know, Oregon's actually going to have mentioning them uh, their junior day this weekend. A lot of kids are going to go up there, so we'll see. You know, I mean, Kyle Murphy's pretty high on USC right now. Eric Magnuson's very high on USC right now. I mean, all that could be kind of uh, evened out a little bit. You know, they go up there and they, they're, you know, wearing all their Nike gear and, you know, seeing all the facilities and the big screens and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it kind of may shake their their uh, their their interest a little bit, and all of a sudden they, you know, wow, well, I really like USC, but now, hey, you know, these guys they were in the national championship game and. You know, I love Nike and all that kind of good stuff that goes on. So, I mean, it can, it can kind of uh, even things out a little more, and uh, that's why, you know, the recruiting process is a process and, and why, uh, you know, that, that, that stretch from November to January is, is always the most significant stretch. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff, as always. It was fun to talk USC recruiting. Things are starting to heat up once we get into May. I think we're going to see a flurry of more offers, like you said. Thanks again for uh, joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We enjoy your questions. Make sure you send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. And we'll be back next week talking more about USC spring football. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 